0: Welcome to the Vaco County Pulse. This podcast is developed by the Virginia Association of Counties and shares with our listeners the pulse of Virginia County governments. I'm Jeremy Bennett, Vaco Director of Intergovernmental Affairs and your host for this episode on small and rural schools. I'm pleased to be joined today by two guests from nearly opposite ends of the state, but whose communities happen to share similar ca- challenges and opportunities. I would like to extend a warm welcome to Dr. Keith Perigen, superintendent of the Bristol City Public Schools and president of the Small and Rural Schools Coalition, as well as Jason Bellows, District 3 supervisor for Lancaster County, member of the VACO Board of Directors and VACO Region 2 director. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Jeremy. Now, gentlemen, to start, I'd like to say how glad we are to have two passionate leaders in the K-12 community together in one room. Despite the geographic distances and uh, differences between Southwest Virginia and the Northern Neck, uh, many folks might be surprised to learn that they share many similarities when it comes to K-12 education and both Lancaster County Public Schools and Bristol City Public Schools are members of the Small and Rural Schools Coalition. Uh, Dr. Parajan, I'd like to begin with you if you don't mind. Uh, Do you mind telling our listeners a little bit about the Small Rural Schools Coalition and how it came into being?
1: Yeah, Absolutely, Jeremy. Thanks again for having me. Glad to be here to talk about the uh, things that we have going on in our coalition. Uh, back in 2016, I was actually superintendent in Norton City Schools, um, which was over in the coal fields of southwest Virginia, and when school started that August in 2016, we started to look at our enrollment, and we saw that Norton had had significant drops in enrollment. So I contacted the uh, superintendent over in Wise, and uh, sure enough, he had experienced the same thing, so we called Dickinson, Scott County, and, and what we found was all over the coal fields of southwest Virginia, we had had significant decrease. In enrollment just over the summer, uh, to the tune of about 11% -hmm. loss of student enrollment. And as folks here that will be listening to this podcast know, uh, school funding in Virginia really is driven on uh, driven on enrollment, especially for localities with a low LCI who depend a lot on the state for uh, funding of education. And you know. Our budgets are already set at that point. Um, our localities are strapped already, and so to go back to our localities and ask for additional funding was almost impossible. So the superintendents there in the Coalfield uh, School Divisions decided to get together and begin advocating at the state level uh, for uh, what we started talking about at that point was enrollment loss funding, uh, which used to be part of the state budget back in 2008 before the recession hit, and that was cut abruptly after the recession hit. And uh, through our Advocacy. Um, we started to find out that Southside Virginia also was experiencing some of those same things, and, and and other small and rural school divisions across the state. And so they joined those seven coalfield school divisions uh, in advocating for enrollment loss money. That first year, we were able to advocate and get six million new dollars added to the state budget for education. And I think with that success, uh, other small localities in across the commonwealth decided to join and so now in 2019 we went from seven school divisions in the coal fields to 70 school 72 school divisions across the commonwealth
0: that's amazing that's quite an amount of growth to have in that amount of time so uh, it seems to be there's a lot, of, a lot of issues that are not just limited to Southwest.
1: Oh, yeah. It, uh, I think the issues are the same. The reasons behind those issues are probably a lot different in Southwest and Southside and in the Northern Neck. But I think the
0: issues themselves are very similar. And on, the, on that note, I'd like to turn it over to uh, Supervisor Bellows. Uh, If you don't mind, uh, Supervisor, just talking about some of the unique challenges and opportunities faced by small and rural school divisions and counties, Um, you know, since counties and local governments are responsible for funding such a large portion of the share of uh, education, K-12 education funding, uh, if you don't mind just talking a little bit about um, your experiences in Lancaster County and uh, expanding to uh, perhaps some of the challenges that small and rural schools face statewide.
2: Uh, Thanks Jeremy and I appreciate you having me here again today and yeah, I would uh, reiterate uh, Dr. Perrigan's uh, words on declining enrollment. That's a serious issue facing us as well. Our most recent kindergarten class has 60 kids in it. That's down almost 20 kids in the last five years. So we've experienced quite a loss in uh, student population too. And as you know, that does have a deep effect on funding uh, which ultimately then puts more pressure on the boards of supervisors to come up with that funding
0: And you still, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you still have to provide a base level of services mandated by the state of Virginia, regardless of how many kids you have in your kindergarten classroom, right?
2: Exactly. Once you get to a certain point, you have all those basic standards of quality that you have to meet. And whether you have a thousand kids or eight or nine hundred, it doesn't really make that big a difference in your staff and your overall cost. So it really starts to eat into the budget and the bottom line. Um, That's just one of the many things that are going on in rural counties as we face. difficulties in hiring uh, qualified staff and keeping those staff, um, building, declining building quality issues, all those things we're facing. Uh, there's a lot of headwinds against rural education right now and having this coalition that we can work together as a cohesive unit and
0: lobby together is really beneficial. That, that I'm gonna turn it back over to you, Doug, if you don't mind. Um, talking about lobbying, um, maybe we can have, talk about this now or later in the conversation, I'll leave it up to you, but uh, see, you know, I don't want to focus too much on the challenges that rural schools are facing. I mean, in Virginia, we've been facing funding challenges statewide, whether you're a large division, rural, small, since the recession. And certainly before my time getting involved in this field, you guys have been in the trenches much longer. Um, but what are some of the opportunities faced by small and rural school divisions uh, that you you might want to touch upon, sir, if you don't mind?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think what our coalition and, and really rural folks in general, um, I think they're always about solutions. It's typically you don't go into a rural area and and get asked for a handout you get it you know you may ask for a hand up but never for a handout and so that's what the our coalition is really focused on is you know what is it that we need to do to provide an equitable education to more affluent localities who are able to even though their the state share is a percentage higher than what uh, small and rural schools have to or small and rural localities have to put chip in they're even able to go above and beyond what their minimum requirement is and that's not the case in in some of our cash strapped rural localities and so we've looked for ways that we can adjust uh, that funding stream without taking away from from our friends in in more affluent areas because the that's not what our goal is we want education to be equitable across the commonwealth and and less is not more even if you're trying to take it away from somebody else and so really the pie needs to get larger and it you you know, Virginia is the 11th most um, uh, prosperous or wealthiest state in the, in the in the nation, but we fund education at, at like 41st, uh, and that's got to change. We've got to change our priorities in, in Virginia. But I do believe that, you know, if you just all you have to do is look at um, um, student achievement in rural school divisions, and, you know, that we're knocking it out of the park there, so rural folks really know how to do more with less. But I think it, what it becomes from a funding standpoint is it really is an equity issue.
0: Certainly. And, and I love I love that phrase. And certainly with VACO and I know a lot of other state uh, associations and advocacy groups that focus on education funding, um, we aren't trying to create winners and losers. We're really trying to make sure that all communities across the Commonwealth rise up um, together and that we uh, kind of restore some of the cuts. It seems to be a recurrent theme with K-12 education funding, across-the-board cuts from the recession, that we're uh, continuing to advocate for uh, restoration of funds and certainly localities are stepping up to the plate in that regard Um, I'm just gonna keep it with you briefly uh, Dr. Perry you you mentioned that uh, Southwest schools are doing great despite some of the challenges that they're facing in terms of their uh, testing results and I believe they have some of the highest region 7 the superintendent region Uh, has some of the highest uh, standards of learning results in the state. Do you mind talking a little bit about that kind of, some people might see as a disconnect with lack of resources (laughs) with high student achievement?
1: So what I would say, I wish I could take credit for it, first of all, because if you look at student achievement in Region 7, it is truly phenomenal. Um, I, I don't think that resources, I think we could probably do even better if we had more resources, but I think what folks understand in rural communities is if we want to change our rural communities, if we want our rural communities to thrive, it begins with education. And if we don't have an educated workforce that's ready to graduate from high school and either go to college and come back or stay in our communities and provide the uh, work, the labor force that we need to thrive as a community, our, our rural communities aren't going to last very much longer. And so I think that uh, just understanding that our kids need a good education, more so now than they ever have. I think that's probably a big reason that we um, have been successful. But more so than that, as I really believe that in small communities, teachers are able to establish relationships with families and students. And when you have strong relationships, I think learning is
0: easier to occur. Thank you, sir. And that's actually a great segue over to Supervisor Bellows, because Supervisor, you happen to have a very uh, excuse me very unique redundant you have a unique perspective on um, on education as both a member of the Lancaster Board of Supervisors as well as a uh, school teacher and leader um, how does that dual role inform your work and what advice if any would you like to give to your colleagues maybe both in the public education sphere as well as the uh, uh, county leadership roles um, to help them improve collaboration between local governing bodies and uh, their they're members of the k-12 system uh, collaboration is certainly a
2: critical point uh, for boards of supervisors and school boards and people to work together and, and forming a school budget and and long-range planning um, I think it's very critical uh, that we do that uh, I think that's really made a big difference I think that we form those relationships um, it's kind of like, uh, as we talked about here, we work together, we get more done. Um, if we work together throughout not only the budget process, but strategic planning with the school board, I, I highly recommend that all all boards of supervisors do that, to not just talk about the schools or what they need during the budget time, but to carry those conversations on throughout the year and constantly revisit them and form good, strong working relationships with the members of the school board.
0: That's fantastic. and. Um, you know, talk, continuing with you, sir, if you don't mind. I, I know that um, there's statistics that have been released that the Small Rural Schools Coalition and the Commonwealth Institute have published that if every uh, rural, school, rural school division in Virginia as identified by the U.S. Census raised property taxes by one penny, they'd only raise, and I say only, but they would raise 19.6 million. In contrast, some localities, if they were to do the same, um, um, same property or uh, tax value raise, they would raise in excess of that. And without pitting our local governments against each other um, to compete for a small pot of resources, necessarily from the state, does this demonstrate the need to examine additional revenue options for local government, uh, or the need to and or the need for the state to step up on its share of funding? And if you'd care to elaborate on that,
2: um, I would say both of those things are needed. Not only does the state need to step up and fill the gap that they have not since the recession, um, localities need more tools in the toolbox when it comes to uh, funding school. Uh, not only construction but operational costs because it's just too expensive these days for rural communities to keep up when we have to put all of that on the backs of real estate taxes.
0: Certainly. And Dr. Parajan, would you care to jump in on that?
1: Yeah, so um, the when you look, you know, $19 million in 72 school divisions by raising property taxes one penny. I don't think raising taxes is, is popular in any conversation right now, but that's what it would take, just one penny to raise $19 million. Some locality one locality by itself can raise, you know, 23, 24, 25 million dollars with that same tax increase. But I think what that shows is we're not advocating for property tax raises. What we're saying is look, there is a capacity issue across Virginia. And some of our small and rural school divisions and localities don't have the capacity to provide um, adequate funding to for K-12 education. All you have to do is look at our school buildings. For example, in Bristol we have six schools. Um, five of those six are over fifty or over fifty years old. Three of those schools are over seventy years old. Uh, none of them are, are completely handicap accessible. And three of our six schools are completely handicap inaccessible. And locally we don't have the capacity to take care of that. Also with the recession, the state stopped providing funding for school construction or renovation uh, and that's not, so for 10 years we've not had any state funding to help with that and what you see now is there's billions of dollars worth of uh, infrastructure needs just in K-12 across our Commonwealth and I think that it's going to take some really creative thinking. I think you'll see some legislation introduced out of the Southwest delegation that encourages partnerships and creativity um, uh, that would help with school construction as we go into this next legislative uh, session but I think it's going to take more than that, I think the state is going to have to really look at how they fund k twelve education. If you look at Norton and Wise counties, for example um, they 're funding per pupil expenditures of about nine thousand dollars per pupil. You can look at other localities and they 're spending eighteen, nineteen, even twenty thousand dollars per pupil and Bristol is around 10,000. The state average is 12,000. Well, until we adjust our funding formula to make sure that regardless of zip code, there's equitable funding for students across the Commonwealth, I think we're gonna to continue to struggle with these challenges. There are mechanisms to do that. The at-risk add-on is, is certainly one of those just putting money back into the pot for school construction would be another solution, and uh, and then also uh, enrollment loss. You know that was we got the enrollment loss funding back in for a couple years, but then it was taken out. It's not in this current budget, and so I think the legislature needs to really take a strong look at providing funding because you know we set our budgets in March, April, and May. We don't know what our enrollment, what we're going to receive funding on until August or September, and so there's got to be a mechanism for the state to help us adjust to those uh, those huge changes.
0: That's, those are excellent points. And um, I know that VACO traditionally has supported additional funding through, I don't say any mechanism, mm-hmm. but certainly the at-risk add-on making sure that schools and localities by extension aren't hurt by Factors that are outside of their control To necessarily plan for um, And certainly with school construction I know this past General Assembly uh, Session the state did put um, Several million dollars more Back into the literary fund But when you're dealing with a need of 3 to 4 billion dollars 35 million is is Not necessarily cutting it um, oh, so, yeah, a,
1: yeah, Talking about the literary fund And so like currently There are 13 projects that are on the wait list For the literary fund So those millions of dollars that were put there Obviously, that's great. That's more than what has been put there in the past, but it's only going to benefit at the very best 13 different projects across the Commonwealth, and we know there's way more than that, and so I think we have to really just completely rethink about how we funded education, not just from a school construction standpoint. But from a, an overall standpoint, and I'm not advocating for changing the LCI, but we do really need to look at per-pupil expenditures. And we also need to look at, is, the, is putting a lot of money into the literary fund really the best option for improving school construction needs? And, you know, I, I don't think that that's the best way, as, you know, as you can tell, there's only 13 projects that are on that wait list. And so I think we need to start thinking differently and creatively about how we can solve these very complex issues.
0: Definitely, and I, I know that uh, the uh, this has come up on this podcast um, before, but the uh, bill that passed last session, emergency legislra- legislation uh, for Halifax County, allowing um, the Board of Supervisors there to um, to raise an additional one percent sales tax that would be dedicated to. Uh, school construction funding. If the voters there also agreed with that, um, that you see that as possibly being a pilot for an alternative means of um, raising revenues at a locality, is again stepping up to the plate um, to build extra capacity. Um, but you know, being a Dillon rule state, we do need the General Assembly to recognize um, that we need those powers granted if they want us to take action on them. So. Um, Dr. Perry, you did mention one point that I would like us to talk about that leads into a current issue that we're all very keenly following right now, and that is the uh, Virginia Board of Education is in the midst of its rebenchmarking process, uh, considering revisions to the standards of quality, the minimum set of standards that uh, that. Uh, localities and school divisions have to provide, and the state has to provide across the state. And I remember uh, Dr. Parajan attending a regional stakeholder meeting with you and Marion on this issue with uh, representatives of the board and uh, Supervisor Bell. The uh, same same sort of meeting in York. And um, I'd like to just get your take on what you see the state's role in this process is where localities might fit in and uh, more broadly addressing issues of equity both among students and communities across the state so um, supervisor if you don't mind starting us off on that Um, again I
2: think it's about growing the pie I don't think we can get there by just looking at the composite index because that like you said creates winners or losers so it's really important for the state to come back to the table at least get back to where they were in 2008 before the recession levels that's a critical point um, localities, as I say, can't just continue to put this on real estate. We need those extra tools in their toolbox to find other creative ways of funding. Excellent.
1: So Virginia's state, as we know from all reports recently, Virginia's estate is thriving. Many of Virginia's rural localities can't say the same. Uh, you know, either we're a commonwealth or not. And, and, and so to put additional burdens on the backs of localities, I think, is an unfair way to handle this situation. But as, you, as I said earlier, rural, rural folks do whatever it takes to, to do the right things in their communities, and I think they're willing to do that. But I think uh, the supervisor is also correct, too. We've got, to, we've got to at least get back to 2008, 2009 funding levels uh, for school divisions. Our our teachers are currently ranked 33rd in, in teacher pay across the Commonwealth. I mean, I'm sorry, across the nation, and we're the 10th wealth, 10th or 11th wealthiest state in the nation. But we pay our teachers in the you know in the bottom range of, of teacher salaries. And if you look at small and rural communities we're the lowest paid, we have the lowest paid teachers across the Commonwealth. And so we probably have the lowest paid teachers in the nation whenever you get right down to it. And you know, if we really truly, there's a lot, you hear a lot of folks talking about the value of education and how important education is to the economy and, and to, the, to the state as a whole. Well, I, we've got to put our money where our mouth is. And, and, and until we at least go back to 2008 and 2009 le- levels, I don't think there's any chance that we can provide equitable funding to school divisions.
2: And one other point to that, education is sort of the crutch of economic development for localities, too. So if you don't have an educated workforce, it's kind of
0: hard to uh, grow your economic development strategy. Most definitely. And it's one of the most critical services that our local governments uh, can provide to our citizens. So uh, with that, I think we're going to wrap things up. But I just wanted to uh, thank you both gentlemen for coming to uh, demonstrate how important Uh, small and rural community schools are to uh, both those communities and to the Commonwealth as a whole, as well as demonstrating um, where we are in terms of the funding process and where we need to go. So uh, on behalf of ACO, thank you so much for taking the time out of your days to to come here and and speak with us. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for having us. Uh, Thanks, Jeremy. So this has been the Vaco County Pulse. Uh, We thank you very much for listening and look forward to uh, having you tune in at our next, next broadcast.